Welcome back everyone. On today's episode, we're gonna be looking at the question, why does big tech always seem to win? We're talking about Apple, Meta, Microsoft, Amazon, and Google. Those are the five companies that I consider in the big tech category. And when we look at the actual performance of these companies, there's the common phrase that past performance isn't indicative of future performance. That is true, but it seems like big tech always is like an exception to the rule. They always seem to do relatively well. In fact, better than the benchmark, better than the index. We have Apple, for example, over the past 10 years, without dividends, reinvested. This is without dividends, they've done 1,100% returns. 1,100% returns if you invested in 2013. That was decades after movies came out about Apple. Forrest Gump investing in Apple. This company has compounded like crazy. And still today, it's viewed favorably. We have Amazon. Amazon over the past 10 years has compounded. 742%. 742% isn't bad, and that's even with a recent dip. So it still outperformed the QQQ, the S&P 500, with the massive dip. We have Meta. This one is no slacker either. Over the past 10 years, it's done over 1,000% in gains. And it's, it's had a remarkable recovery from its low just a year ago. We have Google. This one funny enough, is considered to be the, like, the best tech company in many cases. A lot of people love Google more than any other company, uh, but it's only done 410%. And I say only when this is a lot better than the S&P 500 and the QQQ. So Google's a slacker in big tech, even though it still outperformed the broader indices and it's trading at a cheaper valuation than most of the other big tech companies. But then we have Microsoft, this one over the past 10 years has been remarkable, 822% for a company like Microsoft. Again, almost close to that 1,000% gain range. And if you factor in dividends being reinvested, it gets you very close to that point. So this is another one that's had tremendous performance. All of these companies have had tremendous performance. They continue to have tremendous performance. They still make up the majority of the index. And this is going on for over a full decade almost two decades now, where these companies have really pushed the entire equity markets up. And they always seem to win. Now, we can, we can give little examples of where they lose, but usually they lose when they're competing with each other. Like uh, Amazon trying to come out with the Fire Phone, lost to Apple. But in the realm of big tech, one of them still won. Big tech in general them as a group always seems to win. So as always, we have a lot to get into. I'm very excited about this episode, and I think this will be an informative look at big tech. So let's start off like we always do with a quick portfolio update. Now, the thing I wanna point out with my portfolio is a thing that a lot of people have pointed out. A lot of people have said, Joseph, you have so much money invested in big tech. Why don't you just buy the S&P 500 or the QQQ? That is an option, I could buy those, but those don't own enough big tech to resemble my portfolio. I actually have more exposure to big tech, a lot more than the indices, and I've done that intentionally. I've overweighted my portfolio heavily into Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and Apple. And this is just the story fund. I have a massive weighting in each of these companies. Most of them have done really well. Amazon has struggled a little bit, but this one is, is recovering, and I think it's going to continue to recover. When we look at my other portfolio, the one that's been around a little bit longer, the passive income portfolio, I also own two large 
very large holding in big tech here as well. We have Microsoft and Apple again, $54,000 invested into this one, 53,000 into this one. The gains are $25,000 on Apple, $10,000 on Microsoft. These have been largely outperforming positions that I've held for a number of years. So I've invested very heavily in big tech for a long period of time, and I'm still invested very heavily in big tech. And the reason being is because I believe these companies will continue to outperform the market. How they're able to do this on such a consistent basis is perplexing. It is confusing. Most people think that they've done really well, but it's just a temporary thing. They're going to slow down. But big tech has done something very remarkable. They've been able to avoid the reversion to the mean. If you look at financial theory, it says that as a company grows and becomes bigger, it attracts more competition, and its returns on incremental investments go down. When the return on capital employed or incremental investments goes down, the companies start to get lower returns for the investors, and the returns of the companies start to just match the market average. They don't have excess returns anymore. That's because of competition. Now, we're not seeing that with big tech. Somehow they're able to avoid the reversion to the mean. How are they able to do that? Let's go ahead and take a look at how these companies are able to avoid that reversion to the mean, how they're able to keep such high returns on capital employed. We'll start off with Apple, which I think is the best example of this. This company is remarkable in the way that it's built out such a strong moat. Every big tech company starts off with something simple, but it's the core business of the company. In the case of Apple, we have the iPhone. Now, there's products that predated the iPhone, the iPod and the iPod Shuffle and whatnot, but the iPhone was really their core product. This is really where the Apple today got started. The iPhone became quickly the device on which everybody used every day. It even surpassed the desktop. So we always thought that the desktop would be the device we use all the time. Now it's the phone. When the iPhone came out, it started gaining market share from every other phone, and it quickly became the go-to phone for people that had enough money to afford one. Over time, more and more people got the iPhone. It became more commonplace. Off the back of the iPhone, Apple is able to expand their product line dramatically. And this is what big tech is great at. Starting with one core product and leveraging the growth in that product to grow other products that match that product. So we have the iPhone, and then we go into the MacBook. They make them work really well together. You can share files. Uh, you can do all sorts of things together. They match the aesthetic. Uh, if you're an iPhone user, you're likely to have a MacBook. Then, of course, you have a different tablet, the iPad. Again, it works really well with the iPhone. You have all these different capabilities that can share with each other. Notably, we have iMessage. iMessage was so important because that was really one of the things that tied all of these devices together. See, Apple is smart enough to make it so that messaging worked better from one of their devices to another of their devices than from one of their devices to a competitor. That's called bundling. When you make something bundled together that works better in the bundle or has superior pricing in the bundle, that is a bundle effect. With Apple, it's also called an ecosystem. When you have things in the same product category that seem to work better together than they do with different products. And that reinforced people buying MacBooks and iPads. The iMessage tied that together. Then of course we have the launch of the AirPods, the Apple Watch, the AirTags, and so on and so forth. They have a lot of different products now. All of these products, notably, 
work better together in an ecosystem than they do separately. That is by design. Apple wants it to work better with their products than they do with other people's products because that creates incentive for you to stay in the ecosystem. But then what Apple did, and keep in mind, at this time period, around this time period, we have around 2015, 2016, 2017. This is when Apple is really a big company, one of the biggest in the world, if not the biggest in the world. But most of their sales, most of the stuff that they did to make money was based on hardware sales. And analysts looked at this and they thought that that's a little bit risky because we've seen hardware companies come and go. They usually don't keep a moat for a long period of time. So you have Morningstar and other analysts saying that they have a narrow moat. They don't have a wide moat because they're just selling hardware. And it's a competitive field. Samsung's coming out with stuff. And this can change anytime soon. But what Apple did was they leveraged their already existing ecosystem of hardware products to now build an ecosystem of digital offerings. And this is what big tech, again, is good at. Taking one product, the iPhone, leveraging that to build another ecosystem, and then taking that ecosystem of products and leveraging it to build another ecosystem of products to vastly expand the total ecosystem of the company. We have them build their digital offering because they already have so many people in their ecosystem of hardware that now they offer Apple Pay. Apple Pay is growing quickly. There's reports from the Wall Street Journal that it's scaring banks. JP Morgan has said that Apple is a bank, that if you act like a bank, if you do things that banks do, which is store money, then you are basically a bank. So JP Morgan is saying that these big tech companies, especially Apple, is a threat. Goldman Sachs wants to end their partnership with Apple, I think because they consider them too much of a threat. So Apple has suddenly moved from becoming just this device hardware maker to making banks nervous. That happened overnight. See how this works, how they're able to go from one thing to the next and they use the pre-existing advantages that they have to create further advantage? They have Apple Pay. Now they're disrupting FinTech, they're competing with PayPal, uh, they're making other shareholders nervous and things like Visa and MasterCard because of their huge network effect. And even though they're trying to play nice and they're trying not to draw in a t- This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Attention from, attention from regulators it's still notable how fast Apple Pay was able to grow. Billions of people, billions of installs, hundreds of millions of people using it. Apple Pay is now commonplace at grocery stores and checkouts. They came out with the credit card. The adoption for credit cards is tough for banks. They have to win over customers and they have to give huge incentives. You know all the offers you get for credit card rewards. Sign up and get this much, you know, sky miles and and points or whatever it may be. Apple got those customers with almost no cost of acquisition. Just because they had the pre-existing ecosystem, it lowered their cost of acquisition for credit card issuance far below what a bank has to. So Citibank, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, Bank of America, they have to work hard to get people to use their credit cards. Apple doesn't. Apple has people use it because they already just love the products and the ecosystem that they're in. Then you have the savings account. 
Apple got $1 billion in deposits in their savings account in like a day. It was literally a day and they had a billion dollars in deposits. They just offered a 4% high yield savings account. People saw it show up. It was defaulted in their device, right in their wallet app. They didn't have to advertise. Apple didn't have to pay anything. They didn't have to do anything for it. They had a billion dollars worth of deposits, assets under management in just a day after releasing a product with no advertisement and no customer uh, cost of acquisition. Banks have to pay a fortune to get a customer to put money into a bank account. They have to advertise it. Chase will run promotions where they say that if you use our savings account for like six months, we'll add in $500 and different things like that. They want you to bank with them and they're heavily incentivized to get you to bank with them. Apple did this as just an expanded offering. And the big thing here is they can compete with banks without having the cost of banks. This is the digital offerings. Going into fintech and making real room in that category when this company started off just selling iPhones. So they have one advantage with the iPhone. They have an install base and they leverage it to make another advantage, an ecosystem of hardware products. Now they have an ecosystem of hardware products. They use that existing advantage to leverage it and to further advantage an ecosystem of digital products. Now the investors that that I would say recognized what was going on a long time ago and were able to make the judgment that this ecosystem was going to grow dramatically, they made a lot of money doing that, Warren Buffett being one of them. Warren Buffett recognized way back in like 2015 that the company was building out a big ecosystem that they're going to find a million ways to monetize. Did Buffett know they're going to come out with Apple Pay and the credit card and all these different digital offerings? No, but he knew that the company had customers in their existing ecosystem and he knew that the company would find ways to monetize the existing customer base. I felt the same way, but I was a little later to the party. I bought Apple back in 2017. It's been a tremendous winner over that time period. And I had discussions. The same discussions led me to believe that Apple was growing this digital ecosystem and they had a way bigger moat than investors at the time were giving them credit for. So we have the digital products here and they continue on. Apple all of a sudden competes with Apple Music or Apple Music, sorry, competes with Spotify. When Apple Music started competing with Spotify, Daniel Ek, the Spotify CEO, was furious about it. He recognized that this was unfair, that Apple had an unfair advantage because they made it work better with their watch. They made music seamless with all of their devices. They made it work default with Siri. They built it into their ecosystem of products. And like Apple always does, they make their stuff work a little bit better with their stuff than with other people's stuff. That enforces people buying more of their stuff. When Apple actually came out with the bundle, the Apple One bundle, Spotify came out with an official press release calling upon regulators to come after Apple because they thought the bundle was so unfair. And guess what? Spotify was right. It is unfair. Imagine trying to compete with a company like this that has the ecosystem that Apple does the existing product base and install base, the lower customer cost of acquisition. They actually control the app store. So when you sign up for Apple Music or Apple Fitness or Apple TV or Apple News Plus, any of those, Apple Arcade, they don't have to pay the the booth, the toll booth of the app store. Spotify does and other companies do as well. This is the the ecosystem at work, the moat at work. And this is so different than typical finance. 
Normal finance would show that when a company strays away from its core products, the returns on incremental investments start to go down. And that's what happens with a lot of companies. They have a core product that they invest in. They get high returns with that core product. When they invest outside of that core product, the incremental returns on investment go down. But we're seeing that that's not happening with companies like Apple. They maintain very high returns on incremental investments because they're so good at leveraging their pre-existing advantages, their existing ecosystem. And we see this all throughout big tech. This is a very common theme with these companies. So in terms of Apple, you can talk about the valuation. We can discuss if it's at the right PE ratio or free cash flow yield. But in terms of the actual moat and advantages of this company, I don't think it's ever been stronger. I think that Apple has one of the biggest moats in the market. And it's gonna continue to do what it has done. It's going to continue to build out new offerings and use the existing offerings they have to create higher returns on invested capital for those new offerings, more so than an independent company. If a company just creates music, it's gonna have a tough time competing with Apple. If a company just creates a new reality headset, it's gonna have a tough time competing with Apple. Apple has the advantage of their pre-existing ecosystem. Now, moving on, we have Amazon. This one's slightly different, but in many cases, it looks very similar to Apple. It started off with the retail store and the prime subscription with the retail store. Amazon has been one of these businesses that spawns off different businesses, but with the prime membership and the growth of the retail business, not only were they able to spawn off AWS, which now hosts their retail business, but they also have prime video, which they put into the offering. That's a bundle. They can offer Prime Video at a lower cost because people using Prime Video are also using Prime Retail Store with the two-day shipping. They offer Prime Music. They've sped up the shipping times. They've offered photo storage, and they have Twitch benefits as well. All of these come within the bundle. Every one of these are bundled together except for AWS. But AWS, in a way, is still bundled with the retail store because Amazon has the advantage of having one of the biggest customers on AWS be themselves. So with Amazon hosting everything with AWS, they can test the product, they can iterate on it, they can push new features into their current their current uh, company, and then they can release it to other people once it's thoroughly tested. So having this bundle together, everything together, gives Amazon a huge advantage over any individual company offering these products. Then from there, Amazon didn't stop. They used one advantage to make all of these other products and companies that they bundled together. And then they used all of these products and bundled companies to make other bundled digital offerings. We have the ads on the marketplace. Now they're an advertiser and they have the ads on Prime Video. We're gonna start seeing ads in there as well. Then we have the ads on Twitch. So now Amazon is advertising everywhere. Huge ad company. So now we have three big intrinsic value drivers of the company. We have Amazon Prime. That's a big subscription that brings in high margin revenue. We have AWS. That's another big value driver of the company. It has very good margins. And then we have ads. Now, we don't know the margins of their ad business, but it's very targeted ads. I'd assume the margins are very high for that as well. And all three of those are growing. The Prime subscription, the AWS, and the advertising is growing. So they have the three big bundled together intrinsic value drivers of the company, and they continue to do what they've done. Spawn off different business ventures. They try to 
add on different things and see if they work. And if they don't make any progress, they can scrap it. They're doing that with pharmacy, with healthcare, with home automation, and with grocery. Amazon, like Apple, is able to leverage their current product base their current advantages to get more advantage in different products, therefore artificially raising their incremental returns on capital. Do you see what these companies have in common? Every big tech company has the same commonalities. They use one advantage, one advantage to get another advantage. And once they have one or more advantages, then they have the bundle, the ecosystem, and they leverage that to get even further advantage over individual companies competing with them. And individual companies, which offer just like one product, whether it be something like music or just one social app, it's very difficult for that one company to compete with a big bundle, with a big ecosystem. They're pushed out because they can never offer the same value. So all of these tech companies have the same intrinsic value driver ultimately. It might be in the case of network effects, might be in the case of bundling or ecosystem, but it's all basically the same thing using one big existing advantage to get further advantage. We can look at this in the case of Meta. Meta started off with Facebook. It grew very quickly. It was a big success. But what did they do? They followed the playbook that every big tech company follows. First of all, Mark Zuckerberg bought up Instagram and WhatsApp. They had low amounts of users at the time, but they were able to use Facebook to push users into Instagram and WhatsApp more than Instagram and WhatsApp could do in and of themselves, if they're just left by themselves. If those companies weren't purchased by Facebook, they would not be as big as they are today. The reason they're as big as they are today is because the existing advantage of owning Facebook. If you recall, when Facebook bought Instagram, it didn't have nearly as many users on it, but what did Facebook do? They all of a sudden promoted it in the app stores, they got a lot of exposure to it, and then they made Instagram integrate with Facebook. So you could post on Instagram and you could also say, I want to cross post over to Facebook. So every Instagram post is automatically shared on Facebook. Well, what do you think a lot of people do when they're on Facebook and they're seeing all these Instagram posts show up in their feed? They go, you know what? That sounds like fun seeing this photo app. I want to create an account there. This is one advantage owning Facebook, getting another advantage pushing users over to Instagram. So all of a, a, a sudden, Facebook now owns a huge social network that was mostly text-based, but now they have one that's now completely photo-based. They just completely doubled the capability of their company. And they did it only because they already had an advantage, an advantage that other companies independently didn't have. They're the biggest social media in the, uh, company in the world at the time. And they did the exact same thing with WhatsApp, buying the company, cross-promoting it like crazy, pushing exposure to it, getting their massive user base from Facebook and Instagram over to WhatsApp. So we see the exact same storyline here. A company that has one massive success, but in this case, it's not the iPhone or Amazon Prime, it is Facebook. They use that one massive success to push usage and leverage it into creating another massive success, which is Instagram and then WhatsApp. And then since they have the bundle, the ecosystem of users and all of their products, they can unnaturally push usage to things like Reels, competing with TikTok, things like Stories, competing with Snapchat and communities with Reddit. They can only do that because of the bundle effect. And then to even make this point more clear, we have Twitter. Twitter was the one standout from the rest of big tech, the one smaller company that was competing in some capacity to big tech. And look what happened. Meta just released threads and suddenly it has 100 million users. 
about a fourth of the users of Twitter in total, and they got there in two days. Now, isn't that remarkable that Threads was able to grow that quickly? Even more remarkable is that Threads was created by Meta with apparently only 20 employees. I'm not 100% sure if that's correct, but that's the rumor. It was only 20 employees, and they started it around the beginning of this year. So in six months' time, with 20 employees, they're able to grow an app to 100 million users that competes directly with Twitter. Why are they able to do that so well? By, again, leveraging their pre-existing advantages. In this case, they already had a massive advantage. You didn't even need to create a new account to create a Threads account. You just used your existing Instagram account and said, I want a Threads account. You press one button and boom, you have a Threads account. No entering in user information, no filling out your first and last name, no uploading a profile pic. It was all already there. Therefore, removing all of the friction to onboarding. Normally when a company has a new user, there's an onboarding process. When someone joins my Patreon, they have to put in some information, they have to create a Qualtrum account. That's part of the onboarding process. There's a little bit of friction there. They have to create an account. But with Meta, there's no onboarding process. There's no friction. So they can spin up 100 million accounts like it's nothing in two days. This is such an unfair advantage over things like Twitter, where somebody signs up for Twitter, they have to create a Twitter account. But this is big tech. This is how it works. All of them leveraging their existing bundle, existing user base, existing advantages to get further advantage. Now, you might say that all of this seems unfair, but remember that we're investors. We're not here to be judging what's fair and unfair. We're here to be judging which company is going to do well. Observing the business models of these companies, it becomes clear why they've done so well. Moving on, we have Google as another example here, starting off with the core search product, leveraging that to buy YouTube. Now, YouTube in and of itself was doing really well, but the YouTube creators before Google did not know how to grow the company. They had no algorithm experience and they had very, a very tough time hosting all the videos. YouTube would have never grown the way that it has without Google. So if Google search and that product didn't exist, then YouTube in the way that it exists right now would not exist either. All the people at Google that had experience building algorithms, after buying YouTube, they decided to implement all of that experience into the recommendation algorithm, as well as their experience hosting things and having huge servers also came in handy for hosting so many videos for free. So they used one existing advantage, leveraged that into another advantage in owning YouTube, and now they have a massive video property that is competing with Disney and it's competing with NBC and it has more, more time than even Netflix at this point. YouTube is massive, possibly the biggest video streaming outlet ever to exist in all of human history. And then of course they have Chrome, Android, Gmail, Photos, on and on and on. There's literally a list of like a hundred different products that they've launched and that creates the ecosystem. Google does the same thing to a certain extent as Apple where they make their products work slightly better together than outside of them, but not to the same degree of Apple. Google's products are a little bit more disjointed. They operate and a little bit less sync and a less of an ecosystem than Apple. And I would say that's one of the reasons that Google has not enjoyed the same returns as Apple over the past decade. Hasn't even been close. Apple has over doubled, almost tripled the returns of Google. And I really believe that a big part of that is Google's ecosystem has not been as flushed out, as well orchestrated as Apple's. But regardless, just the fact that they have these big advantages has created market beating returns with a very low risk profile. Now, 
from the advantages they had in search and YouTube and Chrome and Gmail and photos and all of this data they're collecting, they leverage that advantage into BARD AI. They leverage it into cloud. Cloud was a natural play for Google. Remember, they had to host their own servers for search. Then they had to create even more, more hosting for YouTube. So they already had the servers. And then they decided, well, uh, Amazon is doing this. We have other players going into this. Why not create cloud? We have excess capacity as well. So now Google's a big cloud player. They're growing very quickly. It's going to probably be profitable by the end of this year. Then we have Google Pay competing with Apple Pay and other payment processors. We have YouTube TV, we have YouTube Music, and we have a whole host of subscriptions like YouTube Premium. And they're able to push 80, 100 million, up to 200 million plus subscriptions. And they're able to do that because of their already existing ecosystem. So Google falls into the same category. If a company that starts with one core product leverages it to create better incremental returns on other products, then leverages those to create better incremental returns than other companies can on other products. The same exact story over and over again. Finally, we get to Microsoft. And it's it just is like deja vu. It's all the same. They have the Office Suite. They use the Office Suite to create the 365 bundle. Things like Teams would never have been as successful if it was not bundled in the already existing Microsoft Office Suite. So if another company just came out and invented Microsoft Teams, it would have never competed with Slack. It would have never grown the way that it has. Microsoft used the all-encompassing all bundle. The power of the bundle really pushed Microsoft. They have the Xbox. They were able to buy other companies like LinkedIn and GitHub and other products like uh, Minecraft. Because they have the existing bundle, they have such high returns on that bundle, they're able to venture in and scoop up any deal they can and push any new product they can into the bundle. Now they have Azure, which is something they're late to the game on, but they know so well how to do this stuff that they created Azure and then they use the bundle to push Azure. So most of the customers using Azure, the reason that they pick it is guess why? They're Microsoft Office Suite users. Companies already have the Microsoft products. They need somewhere to put it in the cloud. And Microsoft came out with a solution saying, hey, we're the cloud guy now. You can push it up to us and we have for... We have our integration tools that work easier with us than any other cloud hosting. So we have Azure, we have all the cloud products, we have ChatGPT, we have them going into cybersecurity and cloud gaming, so on and so forth. They'll continue to venture into other categories. And the thing that they can do here is the better that they make the new categories fit into their existing bundle, the higher the returns are going to be on those new categories. So I hope looking at this gives insight to the type of things I'm focusing on when I do analysis of these companies. I get asked questions all the time. Joseph, is Apple a buy right now? Is it too expensive? Is it overvalued or a little bit too cheap? Apple might be 10 or 15 bucks too expensive, 10 or $15 too cheap. Everybody has opinions on where the valuation is, but I think that misses the big picture. If you're focused on whether or not the company is 10 or 15 bucks too expensive or cheap, you're missing the picture. Whether or not Apple is successful in growing massive amounts of wealth and cash flow over the next five to 10 years all comes down to the existing ecosystem and if it can maintain it and grow it. That is the main measure I look at as the intrinsic value driver for the company and any of these big tech companies. Are their core businesses, the moats of them, and the intrinsic value drivers, which are the bundles, the ecosystems, the cohesive product offerings, are those intact? 
Are they growing or are they under threat or being broken apart? If the company's ecosystem is getting smaller, weaker, getting broken up or is under threat, then that would mean that I would sell the company. Because at the end of the day, the way that big tech always seems to win is because of the ecosystem, because of the bundle, because of their already existing huge advantages. They're so good at leveraging them and that's how they win. So that's this episode for today. I hope you enjoyed. If you like this type of content, make sure to join the Patreon. We have exclusive content. We have access to Qualtrim, this data analysis website, lots of other fun stuff. So you can try that out for free with a link in the description below. See you in the next one.